You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and I wanted to cover a topic in this episode that came up in our Facebook group. It was just a really, really good topic. Now, I want to warn you in advance, because I hear this feedback occasionally. Like We even have had some podcast reviews where they say, all this is is a massive commercial. <laughs> a massive commercial either for, either for like uh, our own stuff that we might be creating and, and selling, or a uh, massive commercial for gear and links to affiliate sites and so on. And yes, I am going to offer a whole bunch of affiliate-related links to some of the products that we're going to mention here. But that's really what the question in the Facebook group asked. So it's, it is the right response. And I think it's a super interesting one for everyone to think of and, and imagine kind of what you would do and where you're at in your journey on, on mastering your photography. What would it be? So here's the question. This came from Candace Morgan in the Master Photography Facebook group. And Candace asked, if you had $200 to spend for photography, what would you buy? Now, think about that. What's your initial reaction when you heard that question? If you had $200 to spend for photography, what would you buy? Uh, my initial reaction, I feel ashamed to admit, but it's right there in the Facebook group, so I can't deny it. My initial reaction was $200. That's not much. <laughs> $200 doesn't do hardly anything in photography. That is a very small amount of money for a very expensive hobby slash profession, and what can you really do for $200? But I, I thought about it for a second. I was like, okay, but I right off the bat, you know, I thought of three things. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of a reprieve and be like, I, I did come up with some suggestions in my head and what I had there in my initial answer to the Facebook group. I thought about some things. I, I'm going to tell, walk through them, what they are and, and what I thought that was there. And then there were some really good suggestions too from other listeners who had uh, some great ideas of things that are well worth $200 or within that $200 budget limit that can actually be meaningful to your photography depending on what you have. And that was kind of the very first point of all of this. Depends a lot on what you have. Now, I try really hard to think of the hobbyist photographer, someone who is constrained by budget. So that's why this question resonated with me really, really well. You know, for the last eight plus years that I've been doing photography as a hobby, uh, it's been something that I've had to really consider carefully myself. I love the art of photography. I love being able to create images. And I feel like my skill level has continued to improve year after year as I get more experience in doing it. But I, I've had to stretch my dollars as a hobbyist photographer. I, I'm not trying to have photography be my full-time income. I'm not trying to even have it be like a net positive. It's kind of working out that way these days. I've, I've gotten good enough at it that I do paid client portrait shoots. I do have some income coming, but it's not it's barely enough to cover like the stuff I want to buy, especially because I reinvest it for the podcast. I, I like to be able to buy software or buy the things that you all are interested in and test them out and really see what they are, what they're made of. Are they worth it? Um, providing that like hobbyist perspective, because I feel like 
a lot of mainstream photography media, they, uh, they're out of touch. Like either they get everything for free and they don't really have a perspective on price to performance or, uh, they are sponsored or, or such affiliate kind of stuff that I question, uh, their advice. Not that it's downright wrong. I, I think most most of the mainstream photography media is offering good suggestions. Like I don't think they're they're deliberately trying to sell you something that's not worth the money. But I think you can do stuff for way cheaper, <laughs> way less money than most photography media outlets would have you believe. And that's why I like this question. $200 is your budget limit. What can you do to maximize things with that $200? So let's get to it. Let's go and answer it. And at the end, I'd love to have you share what you think on this topic. I know it resonated with a lot of you because as I've talked about in the past, I have a hard time reaching the members of the Facebook group. If I if we create a post or anyone a listener creates a post that we approve, uh, it it rarely gets above say about a thousand people in the group that see it. And um, this time we had four forty five hundred people in the group see this post, and we had uh, better than one hundred twenty five comments. They're still coming actually as I'm writing or creating this episode. So I know that this is something that a lot of you thought I can actually chime in here, or this is something that is meaningful to me. And I saw wish list things from a lot of you. Like if I had an extra two hundred bucks, I know exactly what I'd spend based on where I am in my journey. And so I think these ideas are really helpful and valuable. And if it sounds like a big, long commercial to you, you can skip the episode, go on to the next one. Hopefully, we'll have something that appeals to you better. doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Just stick with us. We have various topics all the time. All right, so let's let's get on to the goods. <laughs> let's talk about what we came up with. Um, we already ta- I already said that it depends on where you are. So if you are a, a very experienced photographer, you've spent many, many years now in the industry, you probably have most of what we're going to talk about here, if not all of it. And yeah, at that point, $200 may not make a massive difference to you. And uh, so it really depends where you are in, in your journey. But I'm going to go through this as if you aren't all the way down that in your journey. I want to to talk about this uh, kind of from the beginning. Unfortunately, I don't think $200 gets you from the very beginning where you need a camera. Cameras, even, you know, the less expensive entry-level kinds of cameras right now are at least twice that budget. Uh, As I looked on Amazon today, Canon T7, it's about $450. A Nikon D3500, it's about $500. And then a Fuji X-T200 is about $480. So you're somewhere between $400 and $500 to get a very entry-level camera. Um, There's other manufacturers. You could certainly pursue like the used market and probably get that get it, get something for considerably less than that especially if you're willing to go even older models of the entry level versions like i say a Canon T6 or a T T5 something like that uh Nikon there there are cameras out there's a lot of photographer or a lot of people who buy camera equipment thinking they're going to get into photography 
And then they never actually dedicate the time it takes to, to understand how to do photography. And it just sits. And so then they decide to sell it and they just kind of want to get whatever they can out of it, not really knowing for sure what the value is and just like get rid of it. So the used market might be a place where it might be possible to get under that $200 limit to get started if you don't even have a camera yet. But it's going to be kind of tough to get there, I think. So we're going to assume you at least have the camera, and I'm going to include it with that, a kit lens, a lens that usually comes with a camera when you buy it. All those prices I just said are for a camera and a kit lens. So we're going to assume that's taken care of. And so let's start kind of from the top then on the suggestions that I have, and uh, and we'll see what you think. So the first one I think is a nifty 50 lens. That is a, a suggestion that I came up with right off the bat. Um, one of the three things that I suggested. And I've suggested this for a long time, many, many years now. My advice has been after you get your camera and your kit lens and you're to the point where you maybe have a little bit of the exposure triangle figured out and you are ready to try to see what happens with a, a better quality lens, but don't want to spend the thousands, probably will be thousands, to uh, to get that really high quality lens. Uh, the Nifty 50 is a great way to go. So you can kind of get a, a little bit more of the experience of shooting and understand. It'll help you to learn the exposure triangle even better too. Part of what you have to be able to do is have a faster lens where aperture can really play a role in what you're shooting. And the kit lenses just don't support apertures wide open enough, which means an aperture number small enough for that to really be something that's going to work well. So a Nifty 50, uh, they usually come at, like very inexpensive prices in an, an f1.8 really wide aperture capability. Canon offers an, uh, a 50 millimeter f1.8 STM lens for about 130 bucks, and Nikon an FX 50 millimeter f1.8 for about $130 as well. So those are a great option under $200 to be able to get something that if you don't have a good lens is a seriously good option to help you improve your image quality and more importantly, probably learn better how to use the exposure triangle with those apertures being available to you. It's a really powerful way to be able to learn. Uh, my next option, if you already have the Nifty 50 or it, that didn't seem appealing, uh, photo editing software. So $200 is definitely enough. Thank goodness that's enough to actually get yourself some photo editing software. If you don't use photo editing software today, I think you really kind of have to understand that I think it's at least half of what it takes to make good images today. I, I can almost guarantee any image that you're seeing shared online that is amazing to you, something you want to emulate, something you want to try to replicate, something you, you're like, I, I wish I could make an image like that. I guarantee, well, almost guarantee, <laughs> I guarantee that it's been processed. It's had some post-processing done on the computer. It's just a massive, massive part of photography today. And it's not really new because dark rooms and film days, there were things being done in those dark rooms that were similar to what we're doing. It's just a little bit more accessible and easier to do today because it's on a computer instead of having to, to learn how to do it in the dark room. My preference, and I know it's a controversial kind of thing, but my preference is the Adobe Creative Cloud Photographer's Plan. 
Um, not the Lightroom plan, by the way. If you go to Adobe's site and you go look for products, they offer the photographer's plan or the Lightroom plan, at least as of October 2020, as I'm recording this, that's how it looked. Um, you don't, I, I don't recommend the Lightroom plan. That gets you on the new version of Lightroom that's entirely cloud storage based and doesn't have the full feature parity with Lightroom Classic. I think Lightroom Classic is what you want. It's only $10 a month, which is a really good thing for me. I I came from a time, eight years ago, they didn't have the Creative Cloud plan. And the only way to get a hold of Photoshop was to pay a lot, like several hundred dollars. I think it was $700-ish, something like that, for Photoshop back then. Um, there were ways if you had like a student <laughs> in your house or you were a student, you could get some student pricing that was far more reasonable. But um, Lightroom was fairly inexpensive. I think it was around $80, but Photoshop was just a huge cost and something that I couldn't afford as a hobbyist. So today, I think it's a massive benefit that you can get access to Photoshop for $10 a month. Now, I know it's a subscription and we all hate it. We all feel like we're dying slow deaths by subscriptions as every service has going to a subscription model and it just racks up really fast. So I, I get that, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast. And I think it's it's a really solid deal to be able to get that, to have that software. Of course, the software is not perfect. I, I cover it a lot on this podcast and in my Photo Taco podcast all the challenges that Adobe has as they release new versions of Lightroom and Photoshop. So they, it, they are, there's room to grow. I think Adobe can do better in providing even more value for that $10 a month. But even as it is today, I think it's a really good deal. And I, and I, would, I like it. Uh, another really good option is Luminar. So Skyloom is a company that's uh, been offering some Lightroom-like software. Um, they're trying to emulate... A lot of the pieces, or not emulate, they're trying to, to provide an alternative to a lot of the pieces of Lightroom Classic. Uh, Lightroom or Luminar 4 is available right now at um, $70 straight up. There's no, it's not subscription, it's just one time uh, perpetual license cost of $70. So that's kind of an appealing thing. Again, the software is far from perfect. There's been uh, a lot of performance challenges with Luminar. Um, I, I do use it occasionally. I, I am a massive Lightroom Classic user, but I sometimes take things into Luminar. I love their sunburst effect, for example. And, uh, and there's some things that, that really work well in Luminar. Um, and, and so that, that works well. Skyloom has, is also, um, have, they've announced that they are going to be releasing later this year in 2020, I'm guessing like Christmas time, but we'll see, you know, they haven't said, uh, Luminar AI is a new product. It can be pre-ordered for $75 right now. So you don't get your hands on any software for that cost yet, but when it gets released, you get it for 75 bucks. Again, perpetual licensing, no subscription. Uh, they've said it's a complete rewrite of Luminar, and um, the the two are not the same thing. They they'll share some common um, approaches, I'd say, to it. But there's there's a heavy emphasis on AI assistance in the new version. And I have some affiliate links, but they <laughs> some links in the show notes if you're interested in checking out that software. I want to be clear that they are affiliate links. Um, 
I and you can stay tuned here in at Master Photography or Photo Taco for more information on that front. Some other options, there's there's so many that are available today. It's, it's a good time to be a photographer. You have lots of lots of choices. Um, strong players we have on one photo raw, it's about a hundred bucks perpetual license. Uh, Capture One, they offer both a subscription and a perpetual license. So you can go $20 a month for Capture One, or you can pay a perpetual license fee of $450. Although I don't think that entitles you to version upgrades if you do it that way. Um, Then there's Affinity Photo for about 50 bucks, a very, very good, uh, like almost more of a Photoshop-like kind of utility than, um, than it is Lightroom. Uh, but very, very good software, especially for that price of $50. Kind of a tool that every photographer could probably have. Uh, speaking of tools every photographer could have for post-processing on their computer, there's two kind of uh, specific areas uh, that I think every photographer should have in their toolbox. There's um, from Topaz Labs, there's Denoise AI, which is looking like it's running $60 on sale right now in October 2020, and Sharpen AI And I think those are have gone from perpetual to subscription licenses where that's a year's worth of access to the software. I did a thorough analysis of Denoise AI in my Topaz Denoise AI versus Lightroom and Photoshop Photo Taco episode that there'll be a link to in the show notes. But uh, the, the bottom line is I think Denoise AI is a valuable tool every photographer should have in their toolbox, especially those who have opportunities of shooting in low light and therefore have to like have high ISO shooting. Um, I, I won't guarantee that every image will be superior if you put it through Denoise AI, but I put lots of images through it and was really impressed with how it did compared to Lightroom and Photoshop in particular. You can go check out all the details in the Photo Taco podcast episode about that if you're interested in that. But the bottom line is, there's a whole bunch of photo editing software that's available well within that $200 range that if you're not using today, you should consider, strongly consider getting into that, learning how to use those tools and incorporating that into realizing your creative vision for a shoot. I don't mean to say that you should rely on this as a crutch, not to look at post-processing as a way you're going to fix the image to be what you want, but you do everything you can in camera first, and then you know you can do something in post-processing to help. And these tools are really valuable. To, be, to combine that with what you know about how to use your camera to really create some stunning, stunning results. Um, my next topic then, so that was number two, and that was kind of the second thing that I thought of initially right off the bat. The, the third one, um, this isn't something I thought right off, but it's photo editing training. And I, I kind of feel ashamed I didn't think of this because I do think training is one of the most valuable investments you can make as a photographer more valuable than new gear, more valuable, unless you don't have it yet, than that photo editing software. Training about how to use your camera more, how to use it better, how to how to use all the features in your camera, training on how to better use the post-processing software you have. And all of that together, that just makes a massive difference. Um, there's all kinds of training available. A lot is for free on YouTube. You can search for the, the photo editing software you use. Um, 
and be able to find a lot of training. I'm going to offer a couple of suggestions here of things that I personally know are really good options. I'm sure there are countless others out there, depending on the topic that we could point to. But the two I know, um, Flern, I did a photo taco episode with Aaron Nace uh, called Taking the Intimidation Out of Photoshop. And I, I loved that topic because I think that's where most photographers lie. When I when I first said photo editing software and I mentioned Lightroom and Photoshop, I'm I'm imagining a lot of you are like, oh man, I just don't know how to use that stuff. It is so hard. I don't know how to do anything in there. I don't get it. Flern can help. Flern is is great. Aaron Nace is a master of Photoshop, but even better, you've probably heard it in ads that I've done before for them because they have sponsored the show in the past. They haven't sponsored this one, um, but I strongly believe in their training. Uh, they, they're just incredible. Matt, Aaron does a fabulous job of being able to create video tutorials that are easy to understand and learn through. You can even kind of check out Aaron's style and how he does training for free with 30 days of Photoshop. It's a course that Flern put out, uh, um, recently, and I'll have a link in the show notes. That one is not an affiliate link, <laughs> but a link in the show notes to it. Totally free. It's just like a YouTube, um, list of videos that he did. And he goes through 30 days worth of tutorials, like a tutorial every single day that illustrates different aspects of Photoshop and how to do things in Photoshop. And if you haven't done that, you're intimidated by Photoshop and you really want to learn to do it, you should listen to the podcast episode and then you should go watch that 30 days of Photoshop and go through that course. So worth it. All of that's for free. You don't have to pay anything so far for any of those. Um, If you are interested or you do like Aaron's approach to this, the Flern Pro subscription. Yes, I know, another subscription. Uh, I think it's a massively inexpensive investment. It's $100 a year to get access to it. And Aaron is putting out at least one new pro tutorial every month. And so the the value is is really amazing. And with that $200 budget limit, you could buy two years of Flern Flern Pro. And uh, I think it's well worth it. So I'll have a link over to that in the show notes too, which is also not an affiliate link. Just trying to be clear. (laughs) All right. Another great option um, is something from my good friend, Nick Page. So if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you're familiar with Nick. We have lovingly call him Lord Page sometimes because he's he's gone on to become such a massive success in the landscape photography world. He's considered one of the, one of the the best and uh, and really has some good courses. So he has a four course bundle that includes video training on dodging and burning, essential photo- Photoshop uh, for landscape photography, mastering luminosity masking, and Milky Way post processing. That four pack, the four course bundle, runs one ninety five. So um, I I can vouch for Nick. I know Nick really well. Great guy, and he does a really good job of instructing Photoshop as well. So you can and and even though these videos, like from from Flern and from Nick, are specific to Photoshop, if you prefer a different post processing program, the techniques and the way they approach editing an image is similar to other software. It's um, maybe called a different tool or the the button that gives you the tool may look a little different, but what they're doing, like dodging and burning, is a, a generic kind of technique for photo editing that everyone should learn to do 
Nick demonstrates it with Photoshop, but it can be done in a lot of software. And I, I think all of it's there. So you should definitely check out those courses, see if either one of those look good for you, both fit in that $200 budget. No matter what though, whatever photo editing training or even a workshop that would benefit you, that $200 can, can go a long ways for at least recorded video training. Now, if you're going to do like a travel to workshop with a photographer, which I think provides insane value for the most part, it's probably going to run you well over $200. The $200 would not even cover your travel to get to the workshop probably. But um, any of that is going to be so worth the investment. Again, I, I really think investing in education for yourself in the art of photography is more valuable than most lenses or new camera body upgrade and and will do more for your photography than any of those things will uh, with some kind of exceptions of course all right next one and this was the third thing that i came up with immediately as i responded in the facebook group it's a flash kit now, so admittedly, this this is a little bit uh, scoped down because this probably only applies to those that are going to be doing some type of portrait photography. But if you are doing or you're going to go into portrait photography and you don't have a flash kit yet, oh man, absolutely investing that $200 in a flash kit is going to make a massive, massive difference to be able to do that. Uh, again, more important than expensive lenses or an upgraded camera body, the ability to control lighting of your model with flash changes the game. And you, you can kind of see a theme here, right? You you bought your camera and you can't upgrade a camera for $200 anyway, but even if you somehow could, that wouldn't be as impactful as a lot of these other things I'm recommending. There's a lot you can do for $200 that are going to be really meaningful for your photography and getting better as a photographer. Flash is another one. So in fact, so good. Flash can can matter so much. You know, I almost guaranteed, I think I, I said the words guaranteed, that if there's an image you are seeing that you respect a lot and you really wish you could create an image similar to it, most likely it's been post-processed on the computer. Some could be more heavily post-processed than others, but it's almost a guarantee. Flash would be the one place where I have actually seen a lot of photographers accomplish amazing things in camera. Getting control of artificial light and being able to control your lighting, it's, it's just stunning what can happen in camera. I st most still take it on the computer and make a, a little bit more adjustments, but incredible what can be done in camera when you really know how to use flash. And there's lots of photography episodes. <laughs> we are, um, sorry, lots of master photography episodes that you can go and check out again, totally for free to be able to give yourself an idea on this. If you, if you haven't heard them, there's how to get good exposure indoors with a flash um, link in the show notes, beginner's guide to flash link in the show notes, flash shutter sync with Levi Sim. If you don't know what shutter sync is, then that's a great way to learn about that. Those are all master photography episodes. Then I have a photo taco episode called inexpensive flash. I outline a lot of the equipment or you can just like go to my flash kit guide over at phototacopodcast.com and be able to get some recommendations, but you can easily uh, get kind of a, a starter's kit going that is that is extremely capable. I don't I don't mean to imply that because I call it a starter's kit that it's uh, inferior or incomplete. 
it's uh, you can do a lot with $200. So kind of amazing. You can also um, not do a lot with $200 in the area of flash. If you look at some really, really expensive equipment that's out there, but I think you can get some really high quality stuff for, for, you know, around that $200 range that will enable, enable you to do a lot with your photography. So you can go check all of that out if you haven't done that yet. All right, another category. This is one I didn't think of. So I'm really, really glad that uh, someone in the Facebook group, I, I didn't note down who it was, but actually I think there were three or four people who said, yep, that's what I would do with it if I had $200. And that is memory cards and batteries. So camp, uh, photographers are, are kind of in a constant need for memory cards and batteries uh, because neither of them last forever. They both wear out. Uh, some of it can wear out fast and cause massive, massive problems for you. If a memory card dies while you're using it and shooting with it, you could lose the whole shoot and that could be really, really scary. In fact, I, I really wanted to because I saw this come up in the Facebook group and, and I realized it's been quite a while since I've talked about this, but um, I've got a, I, I created a photo taco hygiene tips back in 2018. This is not personal hygiene. This is hygiene for memory cards. Um, what you should do to give yourself the best possible chance of not running into a corrupt card and losing all the photos from a shoot. So I'm going to hurry and just kind of rip through them really quick right here, but I'll have a link in the show notes to the podcast episode back from 2018 on this for the, the memory card hygiene tips. But And I'm not going to go into any detail. I'm just going to state what they are, the reasons why and, and everything is in that Photo Taco episode. That if you want to know why, go listen to that. But number one, avoid deleting your photos from your camera. Number two, format the memory card in your camera, not on the computer, and do that every shoot. Number three, wait five seconds after opening the door to the memory card before pulling it out of the camera. Number four, use a good card reader. My current favorites, I, I know it seems like a commercial and an ad for all kinds of gear, but, but that was what this question was about. Uh, Kingston USB 3.0 car, or card reader, multi-card reader, so that'll read SD, CF, and even uh, I think micro SD. And, uh, and that's about 25 bucks. So it's a really good reader I've been using for a few years now. There's also a newer one that looks like it may have replaced that. That's called the SanDisk ImageMate Pro. Uh, actually, I guess that's a different brand, so it didn't replace it. But that uh, that multi-card reader does CF and SD, and it's uh, there's a USB-A version. That's kind of the traditional USB ports that we've had for years and years. That's 60 bucks. And there's the USB-C version that is $37. Kind of interesting to me that the USB-C version was cheaper. Maybe it has something to do with stock on Amazon. Uh, so using a good card reader, really, really important to making sure you don't corrupt a card. A bad, uh, really inexpensive card reader, like maybe one that came with a kit in your camera, can really cause a problem. Uh, number five, use high-quality memory cards. And so then the question was, what's a high-quality memory card? I like SanDisk Extreme Pro the best. I've had really good success with that. And I know a lot of other photographers who prefer that brand as well. 32 gigabyte card costs you 15 bucks. It's really kind of amazing how inexpensive they are today. 64 gig is 20 bucks. 128 gig is $37. And a 256 gig SD card is $67. Um, coming up big and maybe going to replace my my top pick at some point, I don't know, we'll see, is ProGrade. 
they're my second choice, um, but they're they're still they're a little bit higher priced, not much, but a little bit higher priced. They have a sixty four gig card; it's thirty five bucks. One hundred twenty eight is fifty five bucks, and the two fifty six is quite a bit more than the Sandisk version at one hundred dollars. But uh, people are just kind of raving about that. I've had a lot of feedback where they have switched to those, and they really really like them. Um, they're really good. Sony also has an interesting brand, um, a, a line of cards they call Tough Cards. And I've seen some good reviews of them where photographers like abuse them, uh, burning them, freezing them, putting them in water, uh, running over them with a car to see if they're really tough, if they're truly tough. Um, and they they had positive results. I didn't like that they didn't also run over them, burn them, and freeze them with the kind of normal cards to compare. But um, I just don't think that the toughness justifies the cost. They're significantly more expensive. So they're not something I recommend just because of the cost. They're, they're too much money. Um, I would consider Transcend, though I've personally had more failures with those than others and have had some feedback where they don't they haven't always worked out very well. Um, Lexar used to be a brand I recommended, but that company got sold and I can't really speak for the new company, but the one to avoid for sure has massive problems. The Amazon basics brand of SD card. Don't use those. That's a disaster waiting to happen. And and they're not high quality memory cards. So that's number five. Number six, replace your memory cards after three years of use. So I, I just watch for sales on Amazon and I buy a card every time there's a sale. So every time SanDisk has a sale, and it seems to happen every quarter at least, then I go and buy a new card and then I find my card that's the oldest. I, I write on the back of my cards the date that I purchased them or the date they arrived at my house. And um, and then I just find the one that's the oldest and kind of take it out of service. And there's other use cases I have for SD cards, but they're, they're not going to be used in my photography anymore. And that, uh, you know, those six things... It doesn't guarantee, like if you're not doing those six things and you haven't had a failure, it doesn't guarantee you'll have a failure if you don't do those six things. It just reduces your risk. It makes it far less likely to have a memory corruption problem, memory card corruption problem, uh, cause you to lose an entire shoot if you're doing those things. Uh, and then there's batteries. Batteries are similarly priced to the memory cards. Um, name brand batteries, uh, you know, those that come from your manufacturer, they tend to be more expensive, but they also seem to do a better job of having full charge for longer. So not meaning they last longer when you first get them in a shoot, but that they will go two or three years and still get like a really long full charge Whereas the non-name brand uh, may kind of die or take less of a charge as you go get a year or two into using them, and they seem to, to like to to die faster. Um, so, uh, still, I think the price to performance it means that some third-party batteries. Uh, are worth looking at. Now, there is a, a risk. I, I know <laughs> there's a real stigma about this because uh, batteries, especially third-party, really inexpensive batteries could damage your camera. So you kind of have to be careful about what you're putting in your camera as far as batteries go. And uh, the one I feel comfortable enough to recommend that it won't ruin your camera <laughs> don't sue me if it does, <laughs> is Wasabi Power. I have used Wasabi Power batteries for a long time now. Again, they, they kind of seem to 
um, lose the ability to, to get a full charge a little faster than those from uh, the main manufacturers, but the price difference is enough, I think it's worth it. I think that's a, a good thing to do. And uh, and so I use Wasabi Power Batteries. There's a link in the show notes that is an affiliate link if you want to go and use that. I think photographers can easily then get stocked up on memory cards or batteries within that $200 limit. Although, if your camera takes the newer CF Express card format, you're going to be outside of the, <laughs> the boundaries probably. The SanDisk Extreme Pro 128 gig CF Express card is $230. So yeah, that might not fit within the budget, within the $200 budget. All right, one more category to go. And, uh, and then I, I'm really looking forward to hearing feedback from you all on what you think you would do with $200. So circular polarizer or neutral density filter. I didn't think of this one. So thank you, Craig Abbott. I noted down that he recommended this and uh, totally agree. This is, especially if you're a landscape photographer, there's two filters that I really think need to be in your toolbox. Not that you'll use them on every shoot or that they're valuable like every time you go out, but I used them recently when I went to Yellowstone with my family. I had a circular polarizer on my lens a lot, and I did a neutral density filter during the day for waterfalls. So both of those, I think, are valuable enough that when if you had an extra 200 bucks, I would get I'd get one of those um, for sure. So there's an episode that you can check out a photo taco episode called Photography Lens Filters Explained, where I go through kind of what the filters are, which ones I recommend, and uh, and you can get that. But um, the other is one that's called on, on Master Photography. We have Lens Filter Talk with Matt Bishop. That was a pretty recent episode. So you can check out both of those episodes if you need some help with them. My favorite brand for filters is Breakthrough Photography. Um, They have excellent circular polarizers and ND filters. So those are the two kinds of filters I think every photographer should have. Uh, The filters go for about 100 to 150 a piece. So it depends on what your needs are, uh, whether or not you could get both in that $200 range, but probably not. Um, they're not cheap. I I get that, but they are, and there's less expensive options available for sure than those from breakthrough photography. You can get some, you can find some that are, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20, 25 bucks, something like that. Uh, Those, I just can't recommend any of them that are that inexpensive. Those, um, they, they just, they have problems. They tend to do more harm than good. They tend to Uh, damage the image quality that you get more than what they're trying, you know, the problem you're trying to solve with either too much light or a lot of reflections. And so, and and even worse, they're more prone to getting stuck on your lens. You can absolutely get, make it hard for you to get the the filters off with the breakthrough lenses too, but they've got, uh, they've really done a good job of making sure that you you have some good grip that you can get on that lens or that filter and, and get it off. So, there's there's lots of advantages. You got to think about it. Like if you've got if you've paid even one hundred and thirty dollars, I think is what I said. Those fifty millimeter lenses are for a lens. What's it going to be like if you slap a twenty five dollar piece of plastic in front of it? What, what kind of quality should you expect out of that? Not much. It's a problem, and there's a reason that uh, you you need to get higher quality filters to go on your lenses or you're going to degrade your image quality. I also think you should do yourself a favor and you only need one of each unless you have more than one body and more than one shooter that that you're accounting for. 
um, get the 82 millimeter filter size because that's one that's the the biggest one that is offered, and then just use step down rings um, to be able to adapt to whatever filter size lens you have for those lenses that can take a screw on filter. Not every one of them can. Some of them have this bulbous front element that prevents a screw on filter from being attached, but. The step-down rings are really easy to use, very inexpensive. There's a KNF Concept filter ring, 30 bucks that I have, and it works great. Really, really nice to be able to do that. And I can adapt my filters then to any lens that I'm using, and it's it's awesome. So you can do that, save yourself some money, maybe even get that, like you could buy one of the filters and the step-down rings for uh, within that $200 price range. All right, so those are the ideas that I saw in the Facebook group and that I had, and I think it's it's a great, great topic because we there's so much time where the, the photography media talks about spending thousands and thousands of dollars to, uh, to improve your photography. And, and yes, some of that stuff will help for sure. I'm not debating that at all, but I think there's a lot. And now that I've gone through this, there's a lot that can be done for $200. And, and that's amazing. That's a really good thing to be able to, to think through that and, uh, and is encouraging, I think, for, for a lot of us that, that we can do something meaningful without having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, so I'm interested. What would you do? There's got to be things that weren't mentioned here. What would you do with $200 to improve your photography? What ideas, what things are on your wish list that are within that $200 budget that, uh, that I didn't talk about? You can go and leave comments on the post in the Master Photography website. That's over at masterphotographypodcast.com or, of course, in the Facebook group. And the Facebook group is searchable. Just go into Facebook and search Master Photography Podcast. It should come right up. And you do have to ask to join that group which means you have to name a host of the show. And for this episode, that's just me, Jeff. And so you can just put Jeff. That's all it takes is to put Jeff. Uh, I turn away probably between five and 10 requests to join the group every single day. So so if you don't answer the question, you're not getting into the group. We want to make sure we eliminate the bots and the uh, the uh, fraudsters uh, from, from getting in there. And, uh, and so, so we have to, you have to answer that question. The Instagram account for master photography is at master photography podcast. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or check out photo taco. I'm currently doing a massive deep dive into autofocus micro adjust, and I'm going to explain it with a ton of illustrations. I've captured a bunch of video of me doing it too. And I'm hoping I can put together a video. It's taking a ton of time though. And so it's, it's coming. I know I've been saying it for a while now that it's coming. If you follow me on social media, uh, which my, my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts are all in the show notes too. You know, I've been saying this for a while, but I, I'm still working on it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm even connected with uh, some other resources to bounce some ideas off of them. And I'm going to, I'm going to be having a, a really helpful guide so that photographers can understand what it is to autofocus micro adjust your lenses to your camera. So stay tuned for that and subscribe to Photo Taco if you want to know the moment that that is released. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again in another seven days. Bye.